Hello again, this is Charlie Belfontaine, and you're tuned in to the Home Buyers Hour on WCPT AM 820. Good morning, everybody who set their alarm clock for 6 o'clock on Saturday morning. Sorry that I'm the first voice you're hearing, but that's you're going to end for a good show if you stay tuned. So in the studio with me, I got Patrick Loftus of Loftus Law. Patrick, if you don't mind, give us a quick hello and... And how do people get hold of you? And Charlie, the good news is that the first voice I hear every morning are the voices in my head. So you're not even the second. I love it. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me, call me or text me 773-632-8330. And we do broadcast this show live on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it. And it always helps us if you can give us a like button if you're seeing these links live. Um, and on the phone with us, or remotely, we have Joey Matthews of the Federal Savings Bank. Joey, give us a quick hello, please. Hey guys, Joey Matthews, the BA Loan Nerd over at the Federal Savings Bank. Uh, NMLS 1330694. Always happy to be here. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's my quick hello. <laughs> I love it. So we don't have a guest real estate agent in the, in the studio with us. Normally we like to do that. And if there are real estate agents that are listening and you do want to come on the show, please reach out to us. We always try to find something unique in everybody, and I assure you there always is. And we want to bring that on here and just spread the news on everything that we do. But this time we're going to take a little bit of... Um, well, I don't know what the right word is, self, self-advertising maybe, or just a little bit of education from the expertise from these two gentlemen that I have with me here. Some self-reflection. Reflection. That's going to talk <laughs> about some key things when it comes to the real estate purchase and when it comes from the, the mortgage person, the attorney, and also the home inspector. So, Joey, if it's cool with you, I'd like to start off with you a little bit. I yeah. know the big thing that's passionate about is pre-approvals. And where do people go wrong? You know, tell us about them. I think the biggest place people go wrong is when they start shopping without one, and they they find a realtor who will let them do that. Um, and the reason this is a hot point for me at this particular moment is because just this weekend I had four clients all saying that they wanted to go shoot. They didn't want to get pre-approved yet. They wanted to start shopping and see what they wanted to get but without getting pre-approved, right? So one problem with that is, what are you shopping for? You're really shopping for nothing because you have no idea what you can buy. No, and no offense, no offense, but unless you really, really know uh, how the mortgage side works, you may not be pre-approved whatsoever down the road for what you think you want to buy, right? Getting pre-approved will set you up for success. Plus the other thing is for uh, certain people that that did go one did want to make an offer and they never even got a chance they could have made it they could have made an offer on the spot that day if they had a pre-approval they did not have their pre-approval they could not make an offer the the, the, the house was contingent under contract already uh by the time he even started the process so yeah, Joey, we've been, we've been hearing, uh, you know, I've heard various numbers, but last week um, our agent, Beth Repta, talked about there being like a month and a half of inventory uh, available. And, and I've heard, you know, perhaps, and, and it's, it's quite local, very local, um, you know, th- th- maximum three months of inventory, whereas a level market would be more like five or six months of inventory. That's important to know. What what that suggests or what, what that will cause is there's not going to be enough houses for everyone to want to buy. You're going to have, and, and I'm already you know hearing uh, about multiple offer situations, bidding wars, yep. and if you're not ready with that pre-approval and someone else is, even if you did submit an offer, uh, if I'm a seller and I'm looking at two substantially similar offers one with a pre-approval and one without guess who loses so joey i mean are all pre-approvals first of all are they all the same no they're not no they're not I well, what is, <laughs> tell me the differences then, and, and what does it take to get pre-approval how much time what do i really need to do in order to figure out what patrick was just saying on you know the the type of house and the amount of money and everything else i could afford 
No. So the the things that we look for and, and pre-approvals across different lenders are not going to be the same, right? I mean, a, a, across different bakers, even in my own company, they're not going to be the same. So you want to make sure that you're working with someone who is making sure that they have all of your docs. I know I say this every time with VA loans, but if you're getting a pre-approval without having your certificate of eligibility, you have toilet paper. You have literally nothing. If you don't have a certificate of eligibility, you don't have a loan. All right, right. I'm naive. What the hell is a it's certificate of eligibility? Are you are you eligible to get a VA loan? Okay. That's, that's what it comes down to. And and I've run into this where someone thought they were eligible and they weren't, and they got pre-approved by another lender under contract for a VA loan, couldn't buy it. They did not qualify. The VA said they were not eligible for a VA loan. They were short time in service. You have that's to, if a, you're active that's duty, sad. Yeah, it is. It is. If you're active duty, you have to have four years and you have to complete your initial enlistment, right? Or you have to be discharged for a uh, service-connected disability, a medical discharge for a service-connected disability if you're going to be short of the four years. They had a three-by-five contract. That means three years active, five years in the inactive ready reserve. So they served their full first enlistment, but they still didn't hit the four-year time requirement. So not eligible. Now, is that same type of document needed for FHA or conventional? No, no. Okay. So FHA and conventional, we're really looking at assets, debt ratios, credit history, and credit score, right? Um, and, and those things will dictate a lot of terms that go into the, pre- uh, into, uh, the loan itself. But we, we just want to make sure that you qualify for what you're, you're buying, right? So the other thing that I do, I, I give people their general pre-approval that they ask for, which I'm good with. But I also let them know, hey, as you're shopping, give me addresses of places that you're offering on because I want to input taxes. I want to put realistic homeowners insurance. I want to make sure mortgage insurance numbers are correct if they're going to be FHA or under 20% on a conventional loan. I want to make sure they qualify for what they're trying to buy. That way they go in comfortable. They have a solid pre-approval. And I can call the list agent when the offer goes in and say, hey, I've already run automated underwriting. I've already pulled credit. I've already got their bank statements. I have their pay stubs, their tax returns, if they're self-employed, their W, everything. This will be a buyer who has no conditions coming out of our initial underwrite. And we're just going to wait for title and appraisal to come in. And and Joey... Joey, one other thing I, I I know we've talked about before, or you've mentioned, is that once the uh, once the, the the contract has been entered into, you will then contact the listing agent and tell them all this stuff so that they are aware that this is a rock solid buyer. This isn't just someone that went and got a a, a computer generated. Uh, Pre approval from some national lender that you know hasn't even seen a human yet. Absolutely. And usually a list agent's going to call me anyway. So I try to stay in front of that. So I tell the buy agent. No, I never agent, knew that. That's interesting. The listing agent will call the mortgage officer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially I would. Huh. If, you yeah. would too? Yeah. It's well, I, I don't I, I'm lawyer, out of that ballpark. Yeah. If, if I was a listing agent, yeah, I got a, I got a reality check because I'm just going to say it. There are a lot of clowns in Joey's business. Now, Joey is not a clown. <laughs> Far from it. I, I respect all you guys. But, but that's, that's in the whole profession, you know, from the brokers to the inspectors to Everywhere. the mortgage. And I'm sorry, but even the, the attorneys, you know, I've seen some pretty bad ones, too. The, don't get me started. I won't. I, I'm going to. Actually, I, I will. I'm going really, to have to move to another state where no one knows that I've trashed my reputation here if, if you get me too far into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's the the things that people learn from from what we're trying to do here is yeah, if you don't say what the bad things that happen are, then how does somebody know to look out for the bad things that happen? Well, you can listen to the Homebuyers Hour ah. on WCPT, <laughs> where the facts matter. I love it. <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw our producer under the bus here. She didn't expect this, so today, you know, Devin's not with us, and Lady B's helping us out today. But I know she just recently bought a house, and and she had, you know, one time where they did the inspection and that fell through, and then she ended up buying another house later on and stuff like that. Did you have any problems with any sort of? pre-approval issues 
I was ready. I was listening to you before I even uh, started my pre-approval. I was listening to sh- to the show, and I was like, okay. So I started writing in my notes. So I was ready for the realtor. I, I was it. ready. I was ready. To, oh, I need my pre-approval before I even uh, start looking, because. Uh, like I said, I know you've uh, mentioned and I, and I've uh, listened to people that they have to have their pre-approval letter. Otherwise, you can't put a bid on it. And then by the first with the house that I got and I use your inspector and um, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The house was it, 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 it was horrible. A lot of uh it was going to fail the but, inspection, and nothing ever fails and and stuff like that. It's you you just decided that wasn't the home for you because Correct. of the issues. You didn't want to accept those issues, which Correct. is cool, you know. But it's it's amazing what has what happens, and and I guess Joey, you know, one of the things I heard from you over many weeks is that you. You talk about your pre-approvals are kind of like, I don't know, pre-guarantees, did you say? Is that the term you use? I've never had a buyer denied. So, yeah, I call it a Um, pre-guarantee. How long does that take? You can't just do that, you know, arbitrarily or whatever. No. And so when you do it a lot, it it really doesn't take a whole lot of time. If you can get me docs and fill out the application... I can generally get a pre-approval knocked out within an hour. I make make a phone call wow. to make sure if I'm seeing anything that uh, doesn't jive. Like a, a big thing that that happens is for people that may have child support is they don't disclose it on their application. But then I get a pay stub and it shows a deduction of income for child support. I have to qualify that as a debt, right? Or maintenance. You know, I have to reduce income for maintenance. Um, but those are things that, that come up during the pre-approval process that if I was just doing a pre-qual, which I will never do, I refuse to do pre-quals. If you want one, call someone else. Um, that, it, that can totally change what you can buy. It can completely change what you can buy. So, no. Joey, it, Joey I, got a, I got a question. Speaking of debt, uh, our, our, everyone's favorite topic, um, yeah. especially for, you know, perhaps the the millennials uh, and, and even younger who are uh, just getting into the housing market. How do you are there any particular nuances when it comes to student loan debt? Um, I've, I've come across it sort of indirectly in representing buyers it's not really my part of the transaction but but what what do you what can you do with student loan debt uh, to help someone who is you know perhaps 200 grand in debt because they went to law school and you know spent a lot of money on it 200 grand ouch <laughs> Well, I'm not laughing at you. Please don't think I am. It's like, holy cow, that's a lot. I went to law school 20 years ago, so I didn't have to spend that kind of money. I also went to a state school. But if you, let's say you went to four or five years, perhaps, of a private college, and then you went to a private law school, and you don't have rich parents, or you weren't able to uh, qualify for some kind of financial assistance other than borrowing money, you could easily have that kind of student loan debt. Wow. You that's really that's you really can't. So, so there, it, I'm, I'll go ahead, finish that him, and then I got one too. Okay, yeah, no worries. I love this. We're having fun today. Uh, <laughs> I'm a mortgage nerd. So, yeah, so we qualify student loan debt um, either based on what's reporting on your credit report, or if it, there's a zero reporting, we can do one of two things. We can qualify it, and depending on your loan program, it's going to change how we qualify. For Freddie Mac, we take. Freddie Mac and FHA, we take one half of 1%, multiply that by your total balance, and that's our qualifying monthly payment. For Fannie Mae, it's 1%. And for VA, we take 5% divided by 12. What if I'm on income-based repayment, or or perhaps I've even deferred for the past two years? Uh, Any differences there? So if you are on income-based repayment, then we get your tax returns, right? To verify that you are, you know, still qualifying for the same income-based repayment, we get the letter from Navian, Sally Mae, whoever is offering to verify that you are qualified at a $0 payment on your IBR, your income-based repayment plan. And then we can qualify it at the zero, right? And with the firm- that, That's still- huge. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Joey. I mean, if, if I'm someone who is paying, if I've got a, 
yeah, if I've got a two hundred thousand dollar, I'm just going to use that uh, that amount. But I'm working, say, as like a public defender or a state's attorney, and I've got income income based repayment at some small amount or at zero. I mean, I might not realize that I still can qualify for a mortgage and not continue to rent. I, I mean, I, I think that is something that more people probably need to know about. Absolutely. And the same thing goes with deferment. If we can show that your deferment is going to extend beyond a year, then we can still use that $0 payment in a, a few situations. So but can, can I jump it with mine? One. Yeah. IBR. Okay. So my question comes back into going on the divorces and maintenance and child support and so forth. Well, you know, and, and that's got to, those numbers are high, you know, when somebody's paying uh, child supporting and maintenance that comes in there, that can add up to close to 50% of their salary. Doesn't that just make it so they can't buy a house anymore? And I guess it's a two part question. Why can't we just use, you know, whatever's left over is the income because that's really their their gross income because the child support's not going away until children are 18 or or somebody or longer or longer yeah if college right 22 or something like that yep um so let me you know why if you know if not just make something up i guess you know <laughs> so, well, well so maintenance we can qualify as a reduction of income right because that can be changed pretty quickly okay uh Child support, we have to qualify as a debt because even if you lose your job, it's a lot harder to change your child support obligation. So that's that's where that comes into play. So we have to qualify it as a debt because it's always gonna be there. Maintenance, we have the ability to reduce from income because it, it can change easily. And if you lose your job, then you know maybe you're at a $0 maintenance for a while. So yeah, it's it's and that matters because if it's a reduction of income, it has a lesser impact on your debt ratios than it does as qualifying as a full debt. That's why I was asking that. You know, it's those numbers get pretty high. Yes, yes. Um, and then the other thing is, if we can show that you have you know less than ten months remaining, then we don't have to qualify it at all. So big positive there, right? Absolutely, and that's, and that's with any installment debt too. If you and in some situations, particularly in FHA, you don't have to qualify the debt. However, if the debt is large enough in that short ten month period, that there's a likelihood that you could default because we're uh, because we're not qualifying it, then then you will have an issue. Net. That doesn't seem like it's something that would happen if you only got 10 months. Are you talking about defaulting on the mortgage or are you talking about defaulting on the De loan that's 10 months left to go? De well, defaulting on the mortgage. We, if we show okay. solid payment history on the debt that has 10 months left to go, then we assume that you'll continue paying it. So it, it, what I'm getting at, and this is my part of my class that I do with uh, young firefighters uh, in Illinois uh, every year, is... Don't buy cool stuff just because you got hired on at a fire department. You suddenly have a bunch of money. They go out and buy that, that truck with a thousand dollar a month payment. Next thing you know, they can't buy a house. So if we show a young firefighter that now has only 10 months left or nine months left on that truck payment at a thousand dollars a month, and they're trying to buy a house. It's going to cost them twenty five hundred a month. And their debt ratios with the truck are yeah. at like 70 percent. But without wow. it, they're at like 40%, then that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a huge problem because we know that after taxes, you are not going to have enough money to afford both. Well, and that's especially if you bought that truck in the past two years, um, you probably paid over invoice. And I've seen some things where people are really, really underwater on their on their cars and that can really put you in a particular hole do you want to know what i uh splurged on with my first law paycheck sure i would i i spent 150 bucks on an acoustic guitar do you want to know how good i can play play that guitar jimmy <laughs> I, I could I could maybe strum it. Okay. Yeah, but you look cool holding it. That's the whole thing. My my wife decided to uh, to take some uh, guitar lessons because she's like, well, this guitar is just sitting and rotting. And the first thing it, the guitar teacher said was, uh, you're going to have to replace those strings because those things are shot. <laughs> I love it. But you know, going back to what you were saying, I see that from real estate agents. You know, throwing memes out there all the time, where it's you know, basically don't go buying a car, don't go buying big purchases, because not only does it ruin your debt to the ratio, but if you're going to take that out on a loan payment, don't they run your credit on that too? Oh, yeah. 
and doesn't that come back as something? Because you, you don't just run the credit for your pre-approval process. You also you run the credit, you monitor it, right? Through closing, yeah. So even on the morning of closing, if you decide to go to Ashley's Furniture before closing and open a new credit card, we're going to see that and you just push back your closing. Good job. And if you bought a huge sofa and your payment is $700 a month because you bought the fanciest sofa you could find with lights and underglow and all kinds of <laughs> nonsense, then you just lost your house. But at least you'll have a cool place to sit in your apartment. I love this whole thing that Junior's over here talking with you and talking about it's you're legally required. Once you're off probation, you're talking firefighter stuff. So once you're yeah, off probation, you're legally required by union laws to get a new pickup truck. <laughs> you know, So let's not pick on all those firemen. Believe it or not, there are some guys that will drive a Chevy Bolt to the firehouse and they're not bad people. So I'm ready to start an argument over uh, Chevy Ford or Dodge or if you're a, a real Rebel, I guess you go uh, Toyota. <laughs> I, I did have Alexis at one time. Joey, how do people get hold of you if they have more questions about the pre-approval process and and basically getting themselves in the best position to go out house shopping? Well, you can call or text me at any time, day or night, 630-235-2405. You can also find me at thevaloannerd.com or across all social media as at thevaloannerd. I love it. I love that like there's no tomorrow. Now, Patrick, and, and to give everybody my short-term memories gone, I asked Patrick like five different times what it is that he wants me to introduce that he's going to talk about, and I just can't remember. So, <laughs> please, I'm going to let you introduce the subject yourself. All right. Well, if you want to call or text me, I'm not going to answer day or night. <laughs> me neither. That's I'm setting healthy boundaries. That's part of 2022 for me. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> you get there. Joey, you know, that's fine. You can look, all, not everyone's got the same boundaries. 773 632 8330. So, um, Charlie, you asked me to introduce the topic that I wanted to speak on, and uh, I'm just going to you know, say RTLO. <laughs> you guys know <laughs> what go. that is, but I don't, you know? So, so here in Illinois, um, and, and, and this is going to be different uh, really in any locality you're in. Um, so, just to, to take you back a little bit, city, the city of Chicago, city of Evanston, and uh, I believe Village of Mount Prospect all have have had for a while something called a, a landlord-tenant ordinance. And okay. it effectively places a lot of obligations, mainly on the landlord, as to how they uh, are to conduct their that relationship with the tenant. Um, now, these ordinances tend to be particularly onerous. They've got very specific requirements with respect to the security deposit, um, but it it really is uh, a fairly comprehensive piece of legislation. Um, Aren't a lot of people getting away from those security deposits now? Well, not they call them move-in fees. And sure. Stuff? So not just get away from security deposit, but um, because it's a real minefield to try to hold a security deposit without uh, violating the landlord-tenant ordinance. Um, Gosh, uh, many years ago, the advice became to, uh, as you just mentioned, to charge a non-refundable move-in fee. Um, now, for some period of time, it was unsettled as to whether a court would still apply the same rules to a move-in fee, but through this this uh, sort of uh, semantic, uh, you know, rewording of it, um, you know, pe people thought, well, this this seems to be uh, a way around it. Now, the courts have since agreed that yes, indeed, a move-in fee is not a security deposit. However, with some caveats, I don't want to make it sound like you can just charge the same amount for a security deposit, but hey, now I just get to keep it. No, no. Uh, the the move-in fee needs to be, I, I wouldn't charge any more than about 500 bucks. Um, I think that in, in the, the, the particular case that I'm talking about, which I don't have a citation to, uh, the move-in fee was like two, 300 bucks, and it was non-refundable. And the court essentially said, 
the that doesn't look it doesn't bear really any resemblance to a security deposit so that that landlord was found to have uh, abided by the Chicago RLTO and, and the, the letters start to get a bit convoluted as I will explain in a moment um, and did not have to uh, and, and there, thereby avoided all of the requirements and what, what do I mean by requirements you've got to take the security deposit and put it in a separate account then uh, you have to give a written receipt of the security deposit the written receipt needs to tell the tenant what uh, banking institution you have deposited the security deposit in every year you have to give them interest on the security deposit based on a, an interest rate that the city will publish every year I mean do I need to get any further it sounds like a pain in the butt now it <laughs> That's that's putting it lightly. Okay. And, and so if imagine you perhaps have a hundred units under management, you have to keep track of a hundred different security deposits, and that's not even talking about what you need to do in order to try to keep some of the security deposit, which I, I'm I'm not going to get into because it's it's <laughs> it's not as as important these days now that people are. are are typically not taking a security deposit and I definitely tell my clients who are landlords who are going to be landlords as I say a couple I say a couple of things I say look uh, number one I'm gonna send you a link to the residential landlord and tenant ordinance and I want you to look it over I don't need you to memorize it you're not gonna it may not all make sense to you I just want you to get an understanding of the breadth of what this thing is and what it requires number two don't take security deposits. You might decide, hey, you know, I'm only going to have two tenants. I think I can thread that needle. Maybe. Um, and then use the Chicago Realtors uh, uh, lease form because it is specifically designed to comply with all of the requirements of the RLTO. So, for example, okay. you have to give them a summary of the RLTO. You have to, I mean, it's, we don't have enough time for me to tell you all the things that are in it, but what I want at the very least is, is people to have an understanding that it's not just a matter of downloading some lease form that looks good, take the security deposit, stick it in my savings account for when the tenant moves out. It is a lot more complicated than that. Um, so that's for Chicago. Now, that's been around a long time. Not everyone knows about it, but enough people know about it that it is, um, it's more or less something that has become uh, ingrained in, in being a landlord. Now, one thing, I, I, don't, I may be bearing the lead here. Um, what are the consequences for violating the RLTO? Good, good, that's a great question. Um, typically, it's going to be uh, the the damages are are set forth in the ordinance for each particular uh, provision uh, and and what the what the consequences are for violating it. Typically, it's going to be two times the security deposit. And you might think to yourself, well, okay, I can risk that. Mm, the catch is there is an attorney fee shifting provision in there, and I can tell you from experience that there are a number of uh, local attorneys who will take on uh, tenant RLTO cases with the sole purpose of running up a massive bill. So all the things that you hate about divorce lawyers. I, I, they're there that you aren't This is what landlords hate about uh, tenant representing lawyers. And they don't have to say, well, I'm a divorce lawyer. It's just how it is. They get to say, I'm, a, I, I'm defending consumers' rights. And to an extent, they're they're spot on, yeah. but they're also, mm, it, it's not quite the same as, um, you know, perhaps someone that's uh, handling something, um, you know, on behalf of like a, a legal aid uh, type of thing. There's definitely a, a large element of, uh, of I'm going to, to take my profits from, from these landlords because they've got the money to do it. Do you get involved on the tenant side? I don't. You don't? I don't. Only on the landlord side. I really don't get involved in, in landlord-tenant stuff anymore. Okay. Um, you know, when COVID hit, I really didn't want to get involved. Okay. Um, I, I did primarily get involved on, on, on behalf of the landlords, usually a you know, non-paying tenant. 
you know, it's a pretty straightforward thing. There are enough protections and, and, the, and the court process is lengthy enough that you're not just chucking people out of their homes a week after serving them with notice. Not the case in Northwest Indiana. I mean, those you can get a, a non-paying tenant out real quick over there. Uh, and I won't go any farther into that because I'm, I'm not uh, licensed to practice in Indiana. Right. I just know that it is way easier uh, once you cross that state line. Um, so Chicago, it's, uh, the RLTO has been around a while. What hasn't been around a while is the Cook County Residential Tenant and Landlord Ordinance. Now you see what they did, RTLO instead of the RLTO. Right. Fun for me, fun for all us lawyers. It's, I'm not a big fan of acronyms in the first place. So. <laughs> Make your head spin. Yeah. Uh, if any of this is confusing, 773-632-8330. I'll spin your head some more. And that uh, goes the same with Joey. If anybody ever has any questions, reach out to Patrick. Reach out to Joey. Reach out to myself as well. Everybody here wants to help. Don't get me wrong. We want to make money. We, you know, This is our businesses, too. But there's more to just giving people and building that trust and doing the right thing. And that's why I like you, too. Sorry sure. to interrupt. Well, I, I, listen, if I can't demonstrate you know, at least my, my knowledgeability on the subject. And your uh, passion. Before I hand you an invoice, then you're going to question whether I'm going to be able to provide enough value to justify what that's being paid. So I think it, it goes without saying that I should at least be able to demonstrate a base level of competence before I start to stick my hand out asking for money. Um, now, the Cook County RTLO is uh, similar to, to the Chicago ordinance. Now, it does not apply in Chicago, Evanston, or Mount Prospect, but it applies in the rest of Cook County. Okay. And I don't think there's been enough publicity to let people know that this this exists. Uh, the next person who is a landlord in Cook County outside of those three minis- uh, municipalities who says to me that, yeah, of course, I've heard of it. And I'm you know, taking steps to comply will be the first, literally. And it's been in effect since June of 2021. Mm-hmm. Now. Rather than get into lots of detail about what that ordinance is, what's important is first to know about it. Second, when you're, uh, instead of using, you know, like I said, that five page lease that you downloaded off of uh, the internet, there's another lease form uh, by the main the Main Street Association of Realtors, I believe, that is designed to comply with the Cook County ordinance. and And Main Street, I think, where are they? They're uh, like in Naperville or Oak Brook or something like that? They're out there. They're the western <laughs> suburbs. Some, yeah, I, yeah. I, I believe that to be the case. So, so they t- they they took uh, the bull by the horns, uh, so to speak, and and published that lease form so that we're not all coming up with a bespoke form. Um, it would take a it it would take a long time to come up with a form that was completely compliant. So having these forms is super helpful. Um, the one I suppose important difference is that whereas the Cook County or pardon me the Chicago ordinance doesn't allow you for any kind of a, kind of ability to cure a violation meaning a tenant notifies you that you've um, not provided them a receipt for the security deposit you then say whoops and you hand them a receipt sorry you still violated it and you're still you know perhaps liable if they pursue it in the Cook County ordinance, uh, and I'll correct this in the comments if, if I've misspoke, but I believe there's a six-day um, cure period, meaning once you've received the notice that the tenant believes you have uh, violated the ordinance, you can, if, if possible, take steps to cure it. Um, you know, if they've, if you've not provided heat for a week, I don't know that there's a cure. I think you think the the ship has sailed on that one. But if it's a security security deposit thing, you might be able to save it. Because so. stuff can happen. You know, you could be mailing something, it gets lost in the mail. You assume it got there. No, Th- that can happen. Um, I it got lost in the mail is usually going to be a. A losing argument really uh, especially if someone has if, if you're getting that notice from a lawyer they will have provided a certificate of service with it okay. um, and it, it would be deemed to have been served uh, when they dropped it in the mail. I, I'm talking about the receipt you know is that mm-hmm. receipt something that you would send to the tenant I would hand it to them you would hand it and to probably them. get I mean if I was gonna take a security deposit I, I said you know what Patrick 
You sound like you have really good advice. It sounds like a lot of people are not taking security deposits. However, I'm just, I, I'm gonna do it my own way. I'd say, cool, you know, people <laughs> don't take my advice all the time. That's always I, the case. I'm constantly you know? striving not to take that personally. Um, it's freedom of choice. Sure, uh, you know, I, I would say, look, if you wanna be on all fours, uh, so to speak, you hand them the receipt, you have them sign something that says, I received this thing, both, everyone gets a copy, you know, you, you can, you can uh, just snap a picture with your, with your phone and text it, that's, that's fine, you know, it's 2023 now, that's, that's how we do things. Yeah. Um, yeah, some people, if somebody were to insist upon a, a written receipt, fine, we'll, we'll do that too. Uh, written meaning on a piece of paper. But if that's uh, something you can get in trouble for and you're a landlord, I'd want proof that it was delivered. You want to yeah. you want to have a file uh, that if somebody uh, says that you did something wrong, yeah. that you can tick all the boxes. You know, and, and you'd want to if you were gonna, like I said, uh, go against my advice. I would strongly recommend reading that ordinance upwards, downwards, backwards, and forward, making yourself a checklist and making sure that every box is ticked uh, before you then uh, say that you know, th this, this, uh, this landlord-tenant relationship is not gonna be a problem. No, that makes a lot of sense. But, and I guess this is more for both you and Joey um, that comes in there. I mean, I know there's evildoers, you know, they're just bad people that exist out there and they wanna take advantage of other people. How do you, you know, and Joey, how do you know that somebody's giving you legitimate docs and, and same thing? How do you know somebody's not garbaging garbage out to you? Well, I, I <laughs> that is, it's hard, it's hard, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> it it's is, really I'm hard. sure. Yeah, uh, Joey, if someone hands you uh, a, a, a W-2, that's BS. I mean, ultimately, you're gonna pull the tax transcript from the IRS and you'll be able to reality Correct. check it that way. If yeah. somebody hands me um, a doctored up uh, security deposit receipt, you know, that that's a, that's a real nightmare situation. Um, you really are getting into a scenario where you might have to get a handwriting expert in. You might have to try to authenticate it. It's crazy uh, in now. some other way. It it does. It does. And and from a tenant's perspective or a tenant's lawyer's perspective, the muddier the waters, the better. Because now every minute they spend on that file, they're gonna uh, they're gonna bill for it. And if you if you don't get out ahead of it. Uh, yeah, I had one years ago, you know, the, the damages were, might've been 2,500 bucks, but with the attorney's fees, my client ended up paying about 15 grand, um, and basically walked into court, uh, trying to argue our side of things. And the judge just looked at me and said, do you know, landlords never win these, right? And I was just like, no way. I, I'll hand to God literally happened. I was like, well, this is not going to be a fun conversation with my client because I already know what this, the, the I already know what the, the defense side of this is going to tell me and it's going to be bad news. But if we continue down the path that we had initially set down, uh, yeah, that might've been a $50,000 problem rather than a $15,000 problem. And you do not want to be paying someone else's lawyer 50 grand no. uh, when their client's only getting it 2,500. That is absolutely nightmare scenario. It, 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 like I said, it's almost like, I don't know if extortion is the right word or thievery or whatever it is, but it does, it's legally, legally, legally done. It, uh, yeah. it gives you a bad taste in your mouth when, oh, when, you, yeah. when you sort of find out. And, you know, I don't know how much detail I can get into, but you know, one thing I was like, well, okay, if, whenever you have a fee dispute uh, in, in the litigation context, or if, if someone's trying to collect attorney fees, you, through the discovery process, um, you would ask for, for bills. They've got to show itemized bills. They've got to show, uh, if, if a court's gonna grant you an attorney fee motion, you've, you've really got to show exactly the work that was done. Um, and it's got to be well detailed and documented. There's a whole, you know, don't, that, that's, that's another yeah, but show. but that's what they're getting paid for. Right. Is so, to document their time so that they can run up a bill. And, and when I ask them for the itemized uh, billing, crickets. Yeah. And it's like. Well, I see you smiling. I like to hear that, you know. You just go, you know, I just have to take a bite of this, you know what, sandwich. Well, I, my client. Yeah. It just, it's, um, 
it's nowhere you want to be. It's one reason among many, like I said, uh, beginning of COVID, didn't really feel comfortable being involved in landlord tenant stuff. Um, you know, the tenants definitely needed to be protected, uh, but there was no eviction court to go to uh, during that period of time. So uh, not not necessarily a lot to do on, on that end of things. Also, for all of the sort of distasteful you know, reasons or the reasons I find distasteful, didn't want to get involved uh, in RLTO. I won't call it extortion, but, you know, something within the, the, the realm. Um, but yeah, it d- didn't feel good. It didn't feel like a good thing to be involved in, you know, at least during that time frame in, in the removal of people from their, their homes. And I, I haven't, I haven't felt the need to get back into it, to be honest. But, but people get punished, you know, one way or another. And I don't know if it's right for the person who owns the building to be the one who's getting punished. They rely on that income to pay their mortgage that they have on this thing. And when somebody else isn't paying, they can't replace them. They're losing all this money, so they're getting punished. And it's not their fault either. Well, you know, not all landlords are out there uh, doing bad deeds. Absolutely. And And not all tenants are out there doing bad things either. No. You know, listen, this... This RLTO didn't come up out of nowhere. It's well earned by some of the bad actor landlords out there who always have life, been, a, a, who had been, and let's face it, continued to abuse tenants. Um, and so I think someone wisely decided there should be some protections. It can't just be strictly a landlord gets to make all those decisions. You know, yeah, you're you're counting on they, that they income. They need to have some protections, absolutely. Um, but that's that's uh, you know that's another thing that I really try to perhaps the most important piece of advice I can give someone who's going to become a, a, a landlord, regardless of whether they're going to ever you know think about one of these ordinances, is be extremely picky with who you allowed to live in one of your buildings it's not always easy it's kind of you you i mean how often does somebody have to interview a client how much time do you think a a buyer i'm sorry a landlord has to interview a tenant to go ahead and make sure that this is the person i want living in my home you take as much time as you need before you are satisfied that your gut's not telling you no um there there's no 100% foolproof way to do it. You know, you you could uh, you 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 could have someone come in and apply for uh, to be a, a tenant in your building, and everything comes up great. They've got great credit, nothing coming coming up in the background check. You haven't discovered any prior uh, evictions. They just they're just crystal clean, crystal clean. Um, <laughs> we'll buy it. Yeah. Uh, but then they meet someone on Tinder who's a real wrong and and just uh, and they just have bad taste and um, and partners. And then that person comes in and is an absolute nightmare. It can happen. And I don't know that you can legislate for that. No. And quite frankly, it's such a low it's it's such a low probability of happening you 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 wouldn't worry about it even though it can happen you, you really only want to spend a lot of time worrying about things that you have under your control um so yeah like all those steps i just talked about that should put you in the 95 to 99 percent uh of yeah, i'm gonna have a good experience and, and and also trust your gut you're gonna talk to these people you're gonna get some kind of feeling about them even if they even if their qualifications are 100 percent um you might decide no i don't think so now big caveat to this <laughs> you cannot discriminate based on someone's skin tone you cannot base uh discrimination on a disability a religious preference any of that stuff so well, if now you're, you're going after the human if, rights act if your gut is a racist gut you can't trust that gut all right. So yeah. let me just make that crystal clear. And then it's it also needs to be there's federal human rights and there's state human rights that also have to comply. And even though they may overlap, they're not identical. All right. True. Uh, there's fair housing. Um, but there's also don't be a. Just be a good human. Don't we'll put a, it that way. Yeah. I, you know, I <laughs> Don't can't be a think. stinker. <laughs> a stinker. There, there it is. Yeah. So it sounds to what I'm getting out of this is like, unless you're ready to cross every single T and dot every single I and make sure that you do things perfectly, you're still standing a chance of somebody else 
trying to find a loophole in what you did and, and running up those attorney fees. You're better off just just take calling it a move-in fee. And what is the percentage? What do you think is the proper one of whatever the rent is? You know, like I said, I, I probably wouldn't take more than about 500 bucks. I think any more than that, you start to allow someone to get their foot in the door with, with a different kind of argument in court. Um, and it just depends on how much time that, uh, you know, how much volume does that, uh, uh, that, that, that tenant, that tenant side, uh, consumer rights lawyer have to, uh, to make certain arguments. I mean, some of them might want to make new case law and that you might be the, uh, you know, the one that, that, you know, allows them a, a foot in that door. Um, That'll put somebody on TikTok real quick, won't it? Well, you know. uh, you don't want to be there either no. if you're on the other side. You <laughs> definitely don't want to be there either. Uh, I went viral for getting sued by my by tenant because I'm <laughs> doing stuff against the law, maybe. If somebody has questions about this, Patrick, and, and they want to become a landlord and they want to get some uh, advice and talk to you, how can they reach you, please? Yeah, so, and, and really, you know, this is, it, I, I'm more interested in, in talking to someone who um, is going to be, uh, acquiring um, multifamily residential real estate. Um, you know, if you have a dispute with your landlord uh, or you have a dispute with a tenant, that's a different lawyer. Um, but if you want to talk to me about, you know, best practices as far as be, Preparation. being a landlord, by all means, you can call or text 773-632-8330. Smash the like button, subscribe and hit the bell, get some uh, notifications. This actually would be a good class to put together, you know, or make a, a, a longer, more structured of a video that we could put on there and maybe put it into the learning platform. Because um, it's, it's, like you said, a lot of people just don't know about this stuff. So it's every way that we can get that word out there for, because I want to eventually get into purchasing um, properties, you know, for rentals and stuff like that. And there's a lot of things that take in consideration. You know, we don't we don't know what we don't know. Indeed, we can uh, talk after. I can give you a couple of hot takes on that. Yeah, I definitely would love it. Uh, Joey, how do people get hold of you if they got questions about pre-approvals or anything regarding mortgages and more specifically veterans administration mortgages? Especially those VA loans. I I, yeah. I, I, I love what I do. I love being a mortgage nerd, but it it's. Uh, yeah, I get I, I get a, a certain amount of gratitude from uh, working with veterans who may have uh, had bad experiences because of a lack of education around the VA loan. Anyway, uh, you can find me at thevaloannerd.com, across all social media at thevaloannerd, or call or text 630-235-2405. Now, I want to do more research on this and, and find out more about it, but... I'm understanding that there's some also special programs for policemen, firemen, teachers, you know, to move into certain neighborhoods. Is Have you heard of anything like that, Joey? I have. Um, I am trying to recall exactly what the program is called. If you move into certain, I'm, I'm not going to say certain depressed neighborhoods. neighborhoods. Depressed yeah. neighborhoods. Um, yeah, there's a significant uh, grant program through the city of Chicago where, gosh, I can't recall the number, but it's 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 a big number. But yeah. Well, we got a few more yeah. minutes left and I'm going to take a short liberty and, you know, talking about and since we don't have any real estate agents here, let's talk about them behind their back. That's what I like to do. Right. Ah. Um, you know, and just things that a real estate agent can do during showings or to get their client prepared. I mean, both of the subjects that you talked about, both of you guys, was prepare, 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 mm -hmm. and get ready to do these things. And one of my biggest beefs is, you know, and Lady B kind of mentioned it earlier, is she pays us money to send somebody out there to go look at the house, and if there's some of these items that you can recognize ahead of time, and, you know, if I'm an agent, like we had, you know, Adam, I think, was it was an Adam was here before ATM, um, Adam Murphy. I Adam think. Murphy. Thank you. He was on here and he was talking when they go to a showing, he beelines it to the furnace and he's going to go ahead and look at the data plate of the furnace. He's going to do the same thing at the air conditioner. He's going to open up the door and just see what the main disconnect is on the electrical panel. And then he's going to be able to let, hey, listen, just so you know, you're going to be running into a furnace that's going to be 20 plus years old or five years old or an air conditioner that's still on R22. So if this thing leaks, you're going to be replacing that fixing. And then some, we get clients that have 
you know, problems with lead water pipes. And if I had a guess, and I got no proof to back this up, so this is just my educated guess, is going to be, I'd say, 70% of our population, 60 to 70% of our housing stock is the better word, is going to have lead pipes. This is Chicago's got a program for that, if not, if I'm not mistaken, which I will uh, provide a link to um, afterwards. And that is part of the infrastructure plan with President Biden as well, where they call it get the lead out. And I don't and I know where I live, they were they were actually taking surveys of everybody else. Do you have lead water lines in there so they could get prepared for that? So but these are all things, you know, to me. And I don't want to dwell on the lead pipes. I really don't think it's that big of an issue because we keep, and I keep forgetting if it's acidic or alkalitic, but I know that we we put chemicals in the water, and I'm just going to say it's acidic, even if I'm wrong, um, well, to make the pipes or the water acidic, and that creates a patina on the lead, and that patina stops the leaching or it stops the lead from leaching into the water. All right. So we really don't have water problems here. But then when you hear in the news about Flint, Michigan, and I forgot if it was Crestwood or Crest Hill that was in this area here, they changed that water. So if it was supposed to be acidic, they made it alkalitic, that eats away at that patina. And that's why they had all those lead water problems coming into the area. So and, yeah, and get out ahead of these infrastructure issues. Let's not wait till something catastrophic happens. Don't let them pay our company to do this if they know they don't want to buy a house with lead water pipes in there, you know, or if a house was built you know, before 1978, and, you know, we could assume that maybe there's a chance that there's lead paint. If it was before 1970, I could pretty much guarantee that it was, it's going to have lead paint in it. And if that's going to be an issue, then let's not take them to houses like that because we don't want to have it. But there's always ways to educate people on how to protect yourself. I mean, Joey, you know, I know this is a big uh, minimum property requirements thing, thanks to the class you put the, with me on there. Um, it's okay to have lead paint in the house, right? Inside the house, if it was built prior to 1978, uh, or or if it's just not chipping. Yeah, I mean, long, yeah, you paint over it, you encapsulate it, everything's good with that. So those are golden things that I think people can come up with. But we are getting, you know, close to the end of the time frame here. And, and this is kind of a passionate subject. I mean, actually want to start putting together a class um, that I could present into the real estate office. Because I, I don't know, you two tell me, is this something you think that would be good knowledge? I put out once a week, I think it goes out on Sundays, what we call our one minute broker tip. And these are just things that you don't really need a lot of knowledge that you should be able to recognize right away for your client. Yeah, if I'm an agent, I, I would really like to know the more the better, right? Yeah. So. I would rather, rather than write up offers on homes where I've not done that, that sort of minimum uh, amount of uh, looking at this stuff, uh, if, if I can eliminate this house as a, as a possibility, we move on to the next house. First of all, I'll let someone else's client buy that house. Number two, I want to write offers that aren't going to fall apart over uh, inspection issues that I could have prevented so saves everyone time you know it's more efficient and have happier clients without a doubt but we are getting towards the end of the time and that 53 minutes and 30 seconds comes up so gosh darn quick i have so much more to say i know we always do every week and stuff so i just want to give a special thank you to joey and patrick and lady b for making us all sound real good my name is charlie and i'm out